Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hit me. He made me a polished arrow, and in his glitter he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Or as a Roman children's Bible says it, Roman or Lysan. 
how this children's Bible, children's Bible that my parents have given me uh, last Christmas. And uh, he's sort of old enough to kind of get it now. And so we were reading it. It's so good. Sarah, I just fall like, we got reading a little bit. I'm like, that's so good. And he's like, what's wrong? You know, like, keep going. I'm like, God wants to give you his forever happiness. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, but in the, in the children's Bible, it says every story whispers his name. Every story points back to him. It all points to him. And uh, that's what Isaiah is about. And I know as we've gone through this, there's moments where it, 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 there's a lot of language that's really hard to follow. But Isaiah is writing to a lost people. You know, they've run the kingdom into the ground with their sin and their, their own issues, their greed, their idolatry. And God is, is launching a rescue plan to bring a shepherd that will lead his lost people back to himself and renew them and give them salvation and life and bring them into a new family from all the nations. And last week we read chapter 40. I don't know if you remember this. This is the comfort my people, says the Lord. Uh, make way, make a highway for our God. It's this idea that the Lord is returning. These exiles, as, as Judah's lost to Babylon, they're out of their land, going, God, are you, do you care about us anymore? Isaiah announces his hope that, you know, God is going to come. God is going to come and restore you, not just restore you as Jews back to your homeland, but he's going to come and, and restore you out of your sin, back to life, back to a relationship with God. And so it becomes comfort for them as they're in, in captivity, but has comfort for us too. That God continually is coming to restore us when we're lost in our sin. He wants to do that even this morning. He continues to do that. Uh, Mark picks up that chapter, chapter 40 of Isaiah. And Mark basically uh, says, Isaiah's vision is coming true. Isaiah was saying, Yahweh is coming. He's coming back to his people. He's coming to restore them. And Jesus, uh, Mark looks to Jesus and says, here he is. Here he is. Jesus is God himself. Come for you. And all that that means, all that that can mean, it's God's rescue mission to bring you back to himself. In a world that's dark and full of sin and full of death, uh, in our own selves and out around us, God is coming in, invading the territory, as it were, to redeem you back to himself. So Isaiah is telling us now what sort of mission is Jesus going to come and do? If you look down your Bibles, it's helpful to have them open. Look at Isaiah 49, just these first seven verses. And they tell us something about the mission of Jesus. And you'll notice this language of the servant. You might even see that heading in your Bible, serve the Lord. Isaiah talks about Jesus as God's servant. There's four servant songs in Isaiah. This is the second one. They're all going to give us some insight into who Jesus is and what he's going to be about. Interesting that he comes as a servant, right? Uh, he is a, a king, conquering king, absolutely. Uh, he does roar like a lion, but he also does be like a lion. comes to serve. And uh, Isaiah captures that for us. So take a look at this first, first verse here. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention to you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he gave my name. This is written in the servant's voice, sort of in first person for the servant's talking, okay? And he's calling for this worldwide hearing. If you remember last week in Isaiah 40, it's comfort, comfort my people, 
says the Lord. This is specifically for Isaiah, or Isaiah, Israel and Judah. But now, the servant's calling the whole world, all the nations, to listen and to pay attention. We begin to realize this crucial, crucial thing, that the horizon of God's love is broader than just ethnic Israel. It's for the whole world. And of course, for the Jews at the time, that was a difficult thing to kind of comprehend, that this that God was coming not just for them, but for everyone. But here we begin to see that more and more nations are being claimed by God's grace. He's coming for all of us, as it were. He's engaged in a worldwide mission. And this has been God's purpose all along. I want you to turn back with me to Isaiah 11. 11, 11. If you can get there, it's page. There it is. 576. 576. Isaiah 11, 11. This is also talking about Jesus coming. And it says, In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. Notice that. It's a second time. To recover the remnant that remains from his people. And this is a bunch of nations from Syria, Egypt, Pathros, Kush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, those lands of the sea. It's kind of like from all over the place. God's ushering in, uh, uh, bringing together his people, a gathering of people from all over the world. And this is going to happen through Jesus, the servant. But notice it says a second time. God's going to extend his hand a second time. Now just sit back and ask for a second. When was the first time that God was acting to deliver his people out of something into something else? Anyone? Egypt? Right. Exodus? Absolutely. Right? That's the first time. Exodus. Well, what's happening now? Well, Isaiah is describing what is essentially a second exodus. A second exodus. A new exodus. Where God's salvation is going to be available for everyone, everywhere, that's going to deliver them, not just from physical bondage in Egypt, but now it's going to deliver everyone out of a bondage to sin and to death and to evil, into God's love and rest and peace, into his shalom. Jesus is launching a second exodus, and he invites all of us along with him to come out of a place of slavery and death, no longer slave to fear, right? I'm now a child of God. He's launching that work through Jesus. That's what he's doing. Out of a place of slavery to sin, and Jesus, in an act of, of sacrificial love for you, takes on the sin and evil of our world and of yourself and extends his hand on the cross and dies for that sin in order to rescue you from it and bring you into God's love and into his life as a servant, right? As a servant. And of course, this is for all the nations. God's going to extend his hand a second time. We find, we find Paul quoting this kind of language too. In the New Testament, Paul saw himself in this time frame when God was now gathering all the nations together, not just Jews, but everybody. And of course, you run, if you read Acts, you run into these moments where Paul is saying, uh, you know, we need to go and get all these people by telling them about Jesus. And then there's, there's kind of issues back home, like, well, do we make them Jewish? You know, do we have to circumcise them all? Do they have to eat kosher food? Like, what? What's going on? Are they all? No, it's not about that anymore. It's not about the ethnic markers. The people of God are the people who respond with faith to the grace given by Jesus Christ on the cross. And that means you and I get to be part of this people. 
Everyone from the nations, all over. That's what Jesus wants to do. So look back to Isaiah 49, verse 2. Flip back there. Got that 11 11 bit in the back of your mind. He's calling all the peoples. Listen, all the peoples, pay attention. Verse 2, he's made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and in his quiver he hid me away. God is personally equipping and preparing Jesus, his servant. And he's going to conquer, not by swords or arrows or spears or whatnot. He's going to conquer by the truth of his word. Now look at verse 3. And he said to me, this is God saying to, to Jesus, the Father saying to the Son, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And that's kind of puzzling. So what you've got, uh, why would God name the servant Israel? You've got a nation of Israel, and now you've got a person named Israel. And they're distinct things. You've got a nation called Israel, you've got a man named Israel. You know, what's going on? Why this? Think for a moment, what is Israel meant to be? Uh, one, of the, one of the best descriptions, kingdom of priests, right? And a holy nation. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a priest? It means to point people to God and live out God's character among people, Right? All of us are called to do this as priests. A priesthood of all believers. So as we go through life, we are called to show God's character, demonstrate His character, His life, and His love, His compassion, wherever we go, in all the places that we work and play and study and family and all of that. We're called to live that out. But we're also called to point people back to Christ. Right? That's what a priest does. They kind of point people. It's not really about that. They kind of point God point God to the people, and point the people back to God, right? That's what Israel's meant to do. The tragedy of Israel's sin is that they don't do this. They stop pointing, you know, living out God's character in the nations. They become like the nations. That's the tragedy of it. But God won't stop loving them. And so what is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to send a servant. I'm going to name him Israel. And he's going to be a new and faithful Israel that's going to embody all the things that Israel's meant to be. And he's going to live them out and be faithful to them. In all the spots where Israel as a nation failed, I'm going to send my servant Israel to be uh, the true faithful one. And that can be a bit hard to wrap our heads around, but that, that's a big part of what the Old Testament's about. Israel's called to live differently. They're called to be a blessing to the nations. Genesis 12 to Abraham. Blessing to the nations. And they fail to do this. And so the Gospels tell us that Jesus is the true Israel. He's going to be faithful Israel where old Israel failed. And you can mark this because of the, the, the really beautiful way that the Gospels are written. Think about how intentionally the Gospels talk about Jesus' early life. Right? So you, you've got... Uh, the, the, the issue where Herod wants to attack Bethlehem and, and take Jesus out as a baby, right? So they escape and they go down to where? Where do they go? Where does Jesus and his parents go? Egypt? Right, sounds familiar. Who else has been from Egypt? Israel, right? So Israel came out of Egypt. Now you get Jesus coming out of Egypt, right? And what happens when Israel comes out of Egypt? Where do they pass through? Red Sea. Right? They pass through the waters of the Red Sea. And what does Jesus do after he's, he's launching into his public ministry? What does he go and do? Baptized. Gets baptized. Right. Why does he get baptized? He doesn't need to repent of sin. What's he doing? 
He's identifying with the nation. He's identifying with the people. He's becoming Israel for them. And like when Israel comes out of the Red Sea, right? They go to Mount Sinai. What happens? God speaks, right? And you see the presence, his holy presence, like fire. What happens when Jesus comes out of the Red out of the water? God speaks. And you see his presence like what? Not fire this time, but what? Dove. And then, what happens with Israel after all of that? Where do they go? Where do they go after Mount Sinai? They're supposed to go to the promised land. Where do they go in the meantime? Wilderness. Where does Jesus go after his baptism? Wilderness. What's going on? The Gospels are telling you Jesus is going to live out Israel's story, all that it's meant to do, but he's going, where does Israel fail? In the wilderness. Where does Jesus not fail? In the wilderness. Right. And then he comes and launches into his ministry. He's Israel as it's meant to be. He's embodying all of the promises that they're meant to carry. He's going to live them out. He's going to launch that second exodus. Think for a minute, why, why 12 disciples? Where else do you get 12? Well, Christ, what's he doing? He's remaking the nation around himself. Right? And so you get to the Passover meal, and you've got 12 sitting with Jesus, and they're eating together. This looks like what the tribes are supposed to be doing on Mount Sinai, right? And he's making a new covenant with them. Now, to be the people of God isn't about the ethnic markers, it's not about whether you have Sabbath or not, it's not about the circumcision, it's not about the Whose blood, you know, whether your family line, it's not about that anymore. It's about whether you've responded with faith to Jesus Christ. And you've said, Lord, I repent of my sin. I believe you've taken it all and paid the price. And now you're the one that brings me into God's life and into his love and into his forgiveness and into his salvation. Because you've done it. Where we fail as people, I mean, Israel, it's, it's like any of us, right? Where we fail as people time and time again, God still is faithful. He promises to move in and bring his restoration and his peace and his life in all the places where we've screwed up. That's what's happening through all of this real story. That there's all this promise and potential and they keep failing and God says, I'm not going to give up on you. In fact, I'm going to come and fulfill all the promises you're supposed to live out. I'm just going to come and live. I'm going to come fulfill them myself. And in fact, the, the price for sin that's required the death that's required to pay for your sin, but I put that in place, I'm going to come and be the object of that. I'm going to come and satisfy that myself, not you. I love you so much that I'm going to find a way to deal with the sin and the evil in, in my world, in my creation, in your heart, without destroying you. I'm going to keep you alive. I'm going to take the death. That's our God. That's what he does for us. It's brilliant. It's amazing. Look at, uh, back to Isaiah 39. Look at verse 5. The Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be the servant, and it's sort of in Jesus' words, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel may be gathered to him. So Jesus, as the servant of Israel, is sent to the nation of Israel to bring them back to God, right? I'm honored in the eyes of my Lord. My God's become my strength. And then he says this, it's like God saying this, it's too little a thing that you should be my servant and raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back and preserve Israel. That's not good enough, says God. I'll restore Jacob. I'll bring back the tribes of Israel. 
But that's just a sliver of what I want to do. What does he say? I'll make you as a light for the nations. My salvation may reach the end of the earth. And that, friends, includes you and me. I don't know if anyone here is Jewish. I'm not Jewish. If I may know of, you know, I'm mostly Italian and Welsh and uh, Swedish and I, I think a bit of Irish, a bit of British or something, you know? Like, I'm, I'm from the nations, you know? <laughs> like five or so, just kind of going on, right? So much so that I say I'm just Canadian, right? I don't speak any of those languages, I don't really identify with the European countries that I supposedly am from. I'm not really Jewish, like, I, I don't have any really identity with them as a people group. But God, through Christ, is saying, My rescue plan, my love for Israel is not just a love for Israel, it's going to be a love for the whole world. And Jesus is going to come and set the whole world to right through Himself. That's good news for me. Because I, <laughs> otherwise I'm not in good shape. But God's come after you. God's come after me. All the Ukrainians, all the Germans, you know, all of our First Nations people, like French or English or whatever. It's come for you. You're a part of this. My salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Guess what? That includes you and me. That includes the whole world. And that means that true Israel then consists of Jews and Gentiles who are united by their faith in Christ. That's what God's come to do. It's no longer an ethnic designation, it's a spiritual designation. And you know what that means? It means that if we're all united together in Christ, if we all become a new people of God through, through what Jesus the servant has come to do, then the church needs to be the place where all the needless divisions between people should, should come down. Because we are all united together in the Lord. So all of the petty differences that we've been talking about, and all the sort of whatever kind of latent racial issues that are maybe going on, all that stuff, that is no place in the church. Because that's all been broken down here by the Lord. We're united together in Him. Friends, we all face this sin issue. We all face this, this problem, the root of who we are, that we can't on our own make ourselves right before God. We can't be righteous on our own. And you may have heard, you know, hey, I'm going to church. I'm pretty good. I'm showing up on Sundays. That must count for something to God. Right? Or, hey, I, it's, it's December. I'm giving lots of money to charity. You know? World Vision called, and I got four kids at Xbox right now. Whatever. You know? I'm giving it all Christmas cheer. I'm sending a goat to Africa. You know? That stuff is great. But it doesn't deal with the sin issue in our hearts. The only way to deal with that sin issue is to come before Jesus, the servant, who is bringing that new exodus, who extends his hand and says, Come by faith to me. I'm going to bring you out of the slavery to sin and fear and evil and death, bring you into God's grace and freedom and life and reconciliation. That deals with the sin issue. When we come and repent, say, Lord, I'm screwed up again. I can't be holy on my own. I'm not right on my own. No amount of stuff I do can make me right. But Lord, I look to you on the cross and I recognize you've taken the punishment for my sin. And so I lean into you, Lord. I trust 
that what you did on the cross was sufficient. Your blood that was shed covers over my sins. And now I get to be part of your people. This new people of God from all the world. I get to be part of that. I get to be part of God's rescue mission. In Rowan's in Rowan's Bible, Isaiah's called uh, Operation No More Tears. God's going to launch Operation No More Tears. And he's going to come and get everybody. Friends, God wants to make things right for you. He wants to make part of his family. That's what this is about. He wants to deal with the sin in your life. Jesus has come as that servant to bring you into relationship with God in that sight exodus. Not over the wilderness, that's physical route. Maybe you felt in a wilderness of spiritual brokenness, of, of feeling lost on your own. That's what Jesus wants to take you into. He's going to gather people from every nation. So as I wrap this up, and as we prepare our hearts for the, for the Lord's Supper, there's kind of two things that I think, as we reflect on Jesus' mission here in Isaiah 49, uh, two things that I want us to think about. If you're not a Christian, the, big, the, the obvious question is this, will you follow Jesus into his new exodus? Will you throw your life in with him? Will you repent and come to him and stop trying to save yourself and acknowledge that he's Lord and receive him today in his forgiveness? And if you haven't done that, I encourage you to come to him and repent and say, Lord, I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to follow you today. And maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for many, many years. Is there an area in your life that we haven't let Jesus into? Is there an area of brokenness, an area of sin, where he wants to come and clean things up? Great metaphor of this is uh, when, we, when we come to faith, we kind of open, open the, the house of our heart to Christ. So we let him into the living room, you know? And we probably tidy up a little bit first because we don't want Jesus to send the stuff we don't like for the straight things and dust it. And he comes into the living room, um, and then we realize he wants to go into the kitchen. And so we can you know, get over to the kitchen. <laughs> and he comes and he starts cleaning things up for us. Starts straightening things up. And then we realize he's not, he's not satisfied. He wants to go to the bathroom as well. And the bedrooms. And the back room. And as he goes from room to room, he brings cleaning and restoration and life and healing. As a Christian, sometimes I think we can maybe leave a closet or two we're saved, we're following the Lord, but there's places in our hearts that we, I don't want you going there, Jesus, I quite like that stuff. Don't deal with that. He wants to go in there and bring healing in life. If you're a Christian today, is there a place in your heart that Jesus is wanting to liberate you from? Is there, is there a place where you need that second exodus in your heart again? And perhaps more importantly, or as importantly, are we then as Christians living out the life and the love that we've been shown in the Lord, in the world? Are we being like that kingdom of priests of that holy nation? Are we, are we living out God's character in the world and, and as people see us, are we drawing them back to God and pointing them back to Him? That's what we're called to do. That's what Israel is called to do. And uh, folks, that's our mission. It's that in all the places where you are, where you work or study, you rest, wherever you play, wherever you are in life, that we would live out this character in our business decisions, in our family decisions, in our marriages, in our parenting, and all of us. We would live out this character and point others to Him. Are we doing that?
Are we willing to share the good news of wisdom in our hearts and invite others into it? Invite others along this rescue plan. Because uh, it's really good. It's really good. Where do we need to find God's love and healing? And where, where do we need to open ourselves to Him and allow Him to bring them?